the hand pointed at the door in the foremost tower, a door whose knocker was the head of a dragon. No one was required to knock to gain entry. The door opened silently as they approached. One by one, each of the initiates filed inside. Leaving the sunlit garden, they entered a darkness so thick that all were temporarily blinded. Those in front halted, uncertain where to go, afraid to go anywhere that they could not see. Those coming behind them bunched up inside the doorway. Caramon, entering last, blundered into all of them. Sorry, excuse me, I didn't see... Silence. The darkness spoke. The initiates obeyed. Caramon was silent too, or tried to be. His leather creaked, his sword rattled, his boots clattered. His stentorian breathing echoed throughout the chamber. Turn to your left and walk toward the light, ordered a voice that was as disembodied as the hand. The initiates did as commanded. A light appeared, and they moved toward it with quiet, shuffling steps, Caramon tromping along loudly behind. A small corridor of stone, lit by torches whose pale fire burned steadily, gave no warmth and made no smoke, opened into a vast hall. The Hall of Mages, Raistlin whispered, digging his nails into the flesh of his arms, using the pain to contain his excitement. The others shared his awe, his elation. The elves dropped their stoic masks, their eyes shone, their lips parted in wonder. Each one of the initiates had dreamed of this moment, dreamed of standing in the Hall of Mages, a place forbidden, a place most people on Kryn would never see. No matter what happens, this is worth it, Raistlin said silently. Only Caramon remained unaffected, except by fear. He hung his head, refused to look left or right, as if hoping that if he did not look, it would all go away. The chamber walls were obsidian, shaped smooth by magic. The ceiling was lost in shadow. No pillars supported it. Light shone, white light that illuminated twenty-one stone chairs, arranged in a semicircle. Seven of the chairs bore black cushions, seven of them red cushions, and seven white cushions. Here was the meeting place of the conclave of wizards. A single chair stood in the center of the semicircle. This chair was slightly larger than the rest. Here sat the head of the conclave. The cushion on the chair was white. At first glance, the chairs were empty. At second glance, they were not. Wizards occupied them, men and women of different races, wearing the different colors suitable to their orders. Caramon gasped and lurched unsteadily on his feet. Raistlin's hand closed viciously over his twin's arm, probably hurting his brother as much as it supported him. Caramon was having a very bad time of it. He had never taken either magic or his brother's gift for magic seriously. To him, magic was coins dribbling from the nose, bunnies popping up unexpectedly, giant kender. Even that spell had impressed Caramon only moderately. When it came down to it, 
the kender had not really turned into a giant at all. It was only illusion, trickery. Trickery and magic had been all muddled up in Caramon's mind. This was not trickery. What he witnessed was a raw display of power intended to impress and intimidate. Caramon continued to fear for his brother. If he could have, he would have snatched Raceland from that place and fled. But somewhere in the depths of Caramon's mind, he was finally beginning to understand the high stakes for which his brother gambled, stakes high enough that it might be worth betting his life. The wizard in the center chair rose to his feet. That is Parsalian, head of the conclave, Raceland whispered to his brother, hoping to save Caramon from yet another gaffe. Be polite. The initiates bowed respectfully, Caramon along with the rest. Greetings, said Parsalian in a kind and welcoming tone. The great archmage was in his early sixties at the time, though his long white hair, wispy white beard, and his stooped shoulders made him look older. He had never been robust, had always preferred study to action. He worked constantly to develop new spells, refine and enhance old ones. He was eager for magical artifacts as a child is eager for sugar plums. His apprentices spent much of their time traveling the continent in search of artifacts and scrolls, or in tracking down rumors of such. Parsalian was also a keen observer and participant in the politics of Ancelon, unlike many wizards who held themselves above the trivial, everyday dealings of an ignorant populace. The head of the conclave had contacts in every single government of any importance on Ancelon. Antimides was not Parsalian's only source of information. He kept most of his knowledge secret and to himself, unless it benefited his plans to do otherwise. Though few knew the full extent of his influence in Ancelon, an aura of wisdom and power surrounded Parsalian with an almost visible halo of white light, shining so brightly that the two Sylvanesti elves, who held most humans in the same regard as other races held Kender, bowed low to him and then bowed again. Greetings, initiates, Parsalian repeated, and guest. His gaze went to Caramon, seemed to strike right to the big man's heart and set him trembling. You have each come at the appointed time by invitation to undergo tests of your skills and your talent, your creativity, your thought processes, and most importantly, the testing of yourself. What are your limits? How far can you push beyond those limits? What are your flaws? How might those flaws impede your abilities? Uncomfortable questions, but questions we each must answer, for only when we know ourselves, faults and strengths alike, will we have access to the full potential that is within us. The initiate stood silent and circumspect, nervous and awed and anxious to begin. Parsalian smiled. Don't worry. I know how eager you are, and therefore I will not indulge in long speeches. Again, I want to bid you welcome and to extend my blessing. 
I ask that Solonari be with you this day. He lifted his hands. The initiates bowed their heads. Parsalian resumed his seat. The head of the Order of Red Robes stood up, moved briskly on to the business at hand. When your name is called, step forward and accompany one of the judges who will take you to the area where the testing will begin. I am certain you are all familiar with the criteria of the testing, but the conclave requires me to read it to you now, so that none can later claim he or she entered into this unknowingly. I remind you that these are guidelines only. Each test is specially designed for the individual initiate and may include all or only a part of what the guidelines call for. There shall be at least three tests of the initiate's knowledge of magic and its use. The test shall require the casting of all of the spells known to the initiate, at least three tests that cannot be solved by magic alone, and at least one combat against an opponent who is higher in rank than the initiate. Do you have any questions? Not one of the initiates did. The questions were locked in each person's heart. Caramon had a great many questions, but he was too awed to be able to ask them. Then, said the Red Robe, I ask that Lunatari walk with you. He sat back down. The head of the Order of Black Robes rose to her feet. I ask that Nuitari walk with you. Unfurling a scroll, she began to read off names. As each name was called, the initiate stepped forward to be met by one of the members of the conclave. The initiate was led in silence and with the utmost solemnity into the shadows of the hall, then vanished. One by one, each of the initiates departed until only one, Raistlin Majer, remained. Raistlin stood stoically, with outward calm as the numbers of his fellows dwindled around him. But his hands inside his sleeves where they could not be seen clenched to fists. The irrational fear came to him that perhaps there had been some mistake, that he was not supposed to be here. Perhaps they had changed their minds and would send him off, or perhaps his loudish brother had done something to offend them, and Raistlin would be dismissed in shame and ignominy. The black robe finished reading the names, shut the scroll with a snap, and still Raistlin stood in the Hall of Mages, except that now he stood alone. He maintained his rigid pose, waited to hear his fate. Parsalian rose to his feet, came forward to meet the young man. Raistlin Majer, we have left you to the last because of the unusual circumstances. You have brought an escort. I was requested to do so, great one, Raistlin said, the words coming in a whisper from his dry mouth. Clearing his throat, he said, more forcefully, This is my twin brother, Caramon. Welcome, Caramon Majer, said Parsalian. His blue eyes, in their maze of wrinkles, peered deep into Caramon's soul. Caramon mumbled something that no one heard and subsided into unhappy silence. I wanted to explain to you why we requested the presence of your brother, Parsalian continued. 
shifting his astute gaze back to Raistlin. We want to assure you that you are not unique, nor have we singled you out. We do this in the case of all twins who come to the testing. We have discovered that twins have an extremely close bond, closer than most siblings, almost as if the two were in reality one being split in twain. Of course, in most cases, both twins take up the study of magic, both having a talent for it. You are unusual in this respect, Raistlin, in that you alone show a talent for the art. Have you ever had any interest in magic, Caramon? Called upon to speak, to answer such a startling question, one that he had in truth never even considered, Caramon opened his mouth, but it was Raistlin who answered. No, he has not. Parsalian looked at the two of them. I see. Very well. Thank you for coming, Caramon. And now, Raistlin Majer, will you be so good as to accompany Justarius? He will take you to the area where the test begins. Raistlin's relief was so great that he was momentarily faint and dizzy, obliged to close his eyes until he regained his balance. He paid scant attention to the red robe who stepped forward, aware only that it was an older man who walked with a pronounced limp. Raistlin bowed to Parsalian. Spellbook in hand, he turned to accompany the red robe. Caramon took a step to follow his twin. Parsalian was quick to intervene. I am sorry, Caramon, but you cannot accompany your brother. But you told me to come, Caramon protested, fear giving him the voice he had lacked. Yes, and it will be our pleasure to entertain you during your brother's absence, Parsalian said, and though his tone was pleasant, there was no arguing with his words. Good, good luck, Raist, Caramon called out awkwardly. Raistlin, embarrassed, ignored his brother, pretended he had not heard him. Justarius led the way into the shadows of the hall. Raistlin was gone, walking where his brother could not follow. I have a question, Caramon cried. Is it true that sometimes the initiates die? He was talking to a door. He was inside a room, a very comfortable room that might have been lifted from one of the finest inns in Ancelon. A fire burned on the hearth. A table loaded with food, all of Caramon's favorite dishes, and a most excellent ale. Caramon paid no attention to the food. Angry at what he considered high-handed treatment, he tried to open the door. The handle came off in his hands. Now extremely fearful for his brother, suspecting some sort of sinister intent on Raistlin's life, Caramon was determined to rescue his twin. He hurled himself at the door. It shook beneath his weight, but did not budge. He beat at the door with his fists, shouting for someone to come and release him. Caramon Majer. The voice came from behind him. Startled and alarmed, Caramon turned around so fast that he tripped over his own feet. Stumbling, he clutched at the table and stared. Parsalian stood in the center of the room. He smiled reassuringly at Caramon. Forgive my dramatic arrival, 
but the door is wizard-locked, and it's such a bother removing the spell and then putting it on again. Is the room comfortable? Is there anything we might bring you? Damn the room, Caramon thundered. They told me he might die. That is true, but he is aware of the risks. I want to be with him, said Caramon. I am his twin. I have that right. You are with him, said Parsalian softly. He takes you everywhere. Caramon didn't understand. He wasn't with Raistlin. They were trying to trick him, that's all. He brushed the meaningless words aside. Let me go to him. He glowered and clenched his fists. Either you let me go or I'll tear down this tower stone by stone. Parsalian stroked his beard to hide his smile. I'll make a bargain with you, Caramon. You'll permit our tower to remain standing, unharmed, and I'll permit you to watch your brother as he takes his test. You will not be allowed to help or assist him in any way, but perhaps watching him may alleviate your fears. Caramon thought it over. Yeah, all right, he said. Once he knew where Raistlin was, Caramon figured he could go to him if he needed help. I'm ready. Take me to him. Oh, and thanks, but I'm not thirsty now. Parsalian was pouring water from a pitcher into a bowl. Sit down, Caramon, he said. We're going to go find Raist. Sit down, Caramon, Parsalian repeated. You want to see your twin? Look into the bowl. But it's only water. Parsalian passed his hand over the water in the bowl, spoke a single magic word, scattered a few crumbled leaves of plants into the water. Sitting down, planning to first humor the old man and then grab him by his scrawny throat, Caramon looked into the water. Chapter 3 Raistlin trudged down a lonely little traveled road on the outskirts of Haven. Night was falling. A stiffening breeze swayed the treetops, sent autumn leaves flying. There was a smell of lightning in the humid air. He had been traveling all day on foot. He was tired and hungry, and now a storm was approaching. All thought of spending the night sleeping on the ground vanished from his mind. A tinker he had met earlier had told him, in response to a question, that there was an inn up ahead, an inn with the droll name of the Inn Between. The tinker added the warning that the inn had an evil reputation, was known to be frequented by the wrong sort of crowd. Raistlin didn't care what sort of crowd drank there, so long as the inn had a bed beneath the roof and they let him sleep in it. He had little fear of thieves. It must be obvious from his shabby robes that he carried nothing of value. The very sight of those robes, the robes of a magic user, would make the ordinary footpad think twice before accosting him. The inn between, so-called because it was located equidistant between Haven and Qualinesti, did not look propitious. The paint on its hanging sign was faded past recognition, no great loss to the art community. The owner, having expended his wit on the name, 
had not been able to think of any way to illustrate it beyond a huge red X in the middle of a squiggle that might have been a road. The building itself had a sullen and defiant air, as if it were tired of being teased about its clever name and would, in a fit of ill temper, tumble down upon the head of the next person who mentioned it. The shutters were half-closed, giving its windows a suspicious squint. Its eaves sagged like frowning brows. The door opened with such reluctance that Raistlin, on the first try, thought the inn might have closed down. He could hear voices and laughter inside, smell the scent of food. A second, more forceful push caused the door to relinquish. It opened grudgingly with a screech of rusted hinges, slammed shut quickly behind him, as much as to say, Don't blame me. I did my best to warn you. The laughter stopped at Raistlin's entrance. The inn's guests turned their heads to look at him, consider him, prepare to take whatever action they deemed appropriate. The bright light of a roaring fire partially dazzled him. He could see nothing for a moment until his eyes adjusted, and therefore he had no idea whether any of the guests had taken an unusual interest in him. By the time he could see, they had all gone back to doing whatever it was they were doing. Most of them, that is. One group, consisting of three cloaked and hooded figures, seated on the far side of the room, paid him considerable attention. When they resumed their conversation, they put their heads together, talking excitedly, occasionally lifting their heads to cast glittering-eyed glances in his direction. Raistlin found an empty booth near the fire, sat down thankfully to rest and warm himself. A glance at the plates of his fellow guests showed that the food was plain fare. It didn't look particularly tasty, but it didn't appear likely to poison him either. Stew being the only dish offered, he ordered that, along with a glass of wine. He ate a few bites of unnameable meat, then pushed the bits of potato and coagulated gravy around with his spoon. The wine was surprisingly good, with a taste of clover. He relished it and was regretting that his meager purse could not afford him a second glass when a cool pitcher appeared at his elbow. Raistlin lifted his head. One of the cloaked men who had been so interested in Raistlin stood at his table. Greetings, stranger, the man said, speaking common with a slight accent, an accent that reminded Raistlin of Tannis. Raistlin was not surprised to see an elf, though he was extremely surprised to hear the elf add, My friends and I noticed how much you enjoyed the wine. It comes from Qualinesti, as do we. My friends and I would like to share this pitcher of our fine wine with you, sir. No respectable elf would be found drinking in a human-owned tavern. No respectable elf would initiate a conversation with a human. No respectable elf would buy a human a pitcher of wine. This gave Raistlin a pretty good idea of the status of his new acquaintances. They must be dark elves, those who have been cast from the light or exiled from the elven homelands, the worst possible fate that can befall an elf. What you drink, and with whom you drink, is your prerogative, sir, Raistlin said warily. 
It's not prerogative, the elf returned. It's wine. He smiled, thinking himself clever. And it's yours if you want it. Do you mind if I sit down? Forgive me for seeming rude, sir. I am not in the mood for company. Thank you. I accept the invitation. The elf slid into the seat opposite. Raistlin rose to his feet. This had gone far enough. I bid you good evening, sir. I am in need of rest, if you will excuse me. You're a magic user, aren't you? the elf asked. He had not removed the hood that covered his head, but his eyes were visible. Almond-shaped, they gleamed hard and clear, as if the liquid orbs had frozen. Raceland saw no need to answer such an impertinent and perhaps dangerous question. He turned away, intending to bargain with the innkeeper for a patch of floor near the fire in the common room. Pity, said the elf. It would be your good fortune if you were. A magic user, I mean. My friends and I, he nodded his head in the direction of his two hooded companions, have in mind a little job where a wizard might come in handy. Raceland said nothing. He did not leave the table, however, but remained standing, regarded the elf with more interest. There's money to be had, the elf said, smiling. Raceland shrugged. The elf was puzzled at his reaction. Odd. I thought humans were always interested in money. It seems I was wrong. What might tempt you? Ah, I know. Magic, of course. Artifacts, enchanted rings, spell books. The elf rose gracefully to his feet. Come meet my brethren. Hear what we've got in mind. Then, if you happen to run across a mage, the elf winked. You could let him know he could make his fortune by joining up with us. Bring the wine, Raistlin said. Walking through the inn, he joined the other two elves at their table. The elf, smiling, picked up the pitcher and brought it along. Raistlin knew something about Qualanesti from Tanis, probably knew more than most humans, for he had questioned the half-elf extensively on elven ways and practices. The three were tall and slender, as are all elves, and though most elves look alike to humans— Raceland thought he detected a certain resemblance between them. All three had green eyes and peculiarly jutting pointed chins. They were young, probably around two hundred. They wore short swords beneath their cloaks. He could hear the metal strike the chairs occasionally, and probably carried knives. He could hear the creak of leather armor. He wondered what crime they had committed that was vile enough to be sent into exile, a punishment worse than death to elves. He had the feeling he was about to find out. The elf who had spoken to Raistlin was the spokesman for the group. The other two rarely opened their mouths. Perhaps they didn't speak common. Many elves did not, scorned to learn a human language. I am Liam. The elf made introductions. This is Micah, and Rennet, and your name would be? Of little interest to you, sir, Raistlin replied. Oh, but I assure you it is, sir, Liam returned. 
I like to know the name of any man with whom I'm drinking. Majer, Raistland said. Majer? Liam frowned. One of the ancient gods was called by that name, I believe. And so am I. Raistland sipped at his wine, though I do not claim godhood. Please explain the nature of this job, sir. I don't find the company of dark elves so appealing that I want to prolong this interview. An angry glint came into the eye of one of the other elves, the one called Rennet. His fist clenched. He started to stand. Liam snapped words in Elven, shoved his friend back down in his seat. Raistlin's question was answered, however. At least one of the other elves understood common. Raistlin himself spoke a smattering of Colonesti, having learned the language from Tanis. He did not let on that he understood what was being said, however. Thinking he might pick up useful information if the elves imagined they could speak freely among themselves in their own tongue. This is no time to be thin-skinned, cousin. We need this human, Liam said in Elven. Shifting to Common, he added, You must forgive my cousin, sir. He's a bit hot-tempered. I think you might be a little friendlier toward us, Majer. We're doing you a big favor. If you are looking for friends, I suggest you talk to the barmaid, Raistlin said. She looks as if she could accommodate you. If you want to hire a mage, then you should explain the job. You are a mage, then, Liam asked with a sly grin. Raistlin nodded. Liam eyed him. You look very young. Raistlin was growing irritated. You are the one who approached me, sir. You knew what I looked like when you invited me to join you. He started to rise. It seems I have wasted my time. All right, all right. I don't suppose it matters how young you are, so long as you can do the work. Liam leaned forward, lowered his voice. Here is the proposal. There's a mage living in Haven who owns a mageware shop. He's human like yourself. His name is Lemuel. Do you know him? Raistlin did in fact know Lemuel, having had dealings with him in the past. He considered Lemuel a friend, hoped to find out what these unsavory elves wanted with a view toward warning him. Raistlin shrugged. Whom I know is my own affair and none of yours. Micah, jerking a thumb at Raistlin, uttered in Elvin, I don't much like this mage of yours, cousin. Nobody's asking you to like him, Liam returned in Elvin, scowling. Drink your wine and keep your mouth shut. I do the talking. Raistlin watched blandly, with the vacant expression of one who has no idea what is being said. Liam shifted back to Common. Now then... Our plan is this. We enter the mage's house in the night, steal the valuables from his shop, turn them into good hard steel. That's where you come in. You'll know what's worth the taking and what isn't, plus you'll know where to sell the goods and get us a fair price. You will receive your share, of course. Raistlin was scornful. As it happens, sir... I have frequented the shop of this Lemuel, and I can tell you right now that you are wasting your time. 
He has nothing of value. His entire collection is worth twenty steel at most, hardly fit payment for your trouble. Raistlin assumed that this would end the conversation, that he had discouraged the thieves from pursuing their nefarious scheme. At all events, he would warn Lemuel to take suitable precautions. If you gentlemen will excuse me, Liam reached out, grabbed hold of Raistlin's wrist. Feeling the mage stiffen, Liam let go, though his strong, thin-fingered hand hovered near. He exchanged glances with his cousins, as if asking their agreement to proceed. Reluctantly, both nodded. You are right about the shop, sir, Liam admitted. But perhaps you are not familiar with what the mage has hidden in his cellar below the kitchen. As far as Raistlin knew, Lemuel had nothing hidden in the cellar. What does he have hidden? Spellbooks, Liam answered. Lemuel once had a few spellbooks in his possession, but I know for a fact that he sold them. Not all of them. Liam sunk his voice to beneath a whisper. He has more, many more. Ancient spellbooks from back before the cataclysm. Spellbooks that many thought were lost to this world. That is the true prize. Lemuel had never mentioned such books to Raistlin. He had, in fact, pretended that Raistlin had acquired all the books in the older mage's possession. Raistlin felt betrayed. How do you know this? he asked sharply. Liam smiled unpleasantly. You are not the only one with secrets, sir. Then once more I bid you good night. Oh, for the love of the queen, tell him, said one of the cousins in Qualinesti. We are wasting time. Drakart wants those spellbooks delivered within the fortnight. Drakart forbade us. Tell him part of the truth, then. Liam turned back to Raistlin. Micah visited the shop on the pretext of buying herbs. If you know this, Lemuel, you know that he is stupid and naive, even by human standards. He left Micah alone in the shop while he went to his garden. Micah made a wax impression of the key to the front door. How do you know of the existence of the spellbooks, Raistlin persisted? I tell you again, that must be our secret, Liam said, a hard and dangerous edge to his voice. Guessing that this Drakart, whoever he was, had knowledge of the books, Raistlin tried another question asking as innocently as he could. And what do you intend to do with these spellbooks? Sell them, of course. What possible use could they be to us? Liam smiled. His cousins smiled. The elf's tone was persuasive, and he did not blink an almond eye. Raistlin considered. He was angered that Lemuel had lied about the existence of such valuable spellbooks, but he wanted no harm to come to the mage for all that. I will not be party to murder, Raistlin said. Nor will we, Liam stated emphatically. This Lemuel has many friends in the elven lands, guest friends who would feel obligated to avenge his death. The mage is not at home. He has left to visit these friends of his in Qualinost. The house is empty. An hour's work, and we will be rich men. As for you, 
You can either take your share in magic artifacts, or we will pay you in hard steel. Raistlin wasn't thinking of money. He wasn't thinking of the fact that the elves were lying to him, that they were undoubtedly intending to use him and then find a way to conveniently get rid of him. He was thinking of spellbooks, ancient spellbooks, perhaps spellbooks that had been stolen from the besieged Tower of High Sorcery in Daltigoth, or rescued from the drowned Tower of Istar. What wealth of magic lay within their covers, and why was Lemuel keeping them secret, hidden away? Raistlin had the answer immediately. These must be books of black magic. That was the only logical explanation. Lemuel's father had been a war wizard of the White Robes. He could not destroy the books. By strictest law, no member of one order could willfully destroy any magical artifact or spellbook belonging to another. Magical knowledge, no matter from whence it came, who produced it or whom it might benefit, was precious and deserved protection. But he might have been tempted to conceal those spellbooks he considered evil. By hiding such books away, he could both preserve them and keep them from falling into the hands of his enemies. It is my duty to look into this matter, Raistlin convinced himself. Besides, if I do not go with these elves, they will only find someone else, someone who might harm the books. Thus Raistlin rationalized, but in his heart was the undeniable longing to see these books, to hold them and feel their power, perhaps unlock their secrets. When do you propose to do this? Raistlin asked. Lemuel left town two days ago. We are pressed for time. Tonight? Are you with us? Raistlin nodded. I am with you. Chapter 4 The red and silver moons shone brightly. The orbs were close this night, as if the two gods were leaning their heads together to whisper and laugh over the follies they viewed from high above. The silver and red light shone down on the thieves. Raistlin cast two shadows as he walked along the road. The shadows stretched before him, one shadow, tinged with silver, went to his right, the other, haloed by red, to his left. He could have almost imagined diverging paths, except that, in essence, both shadows were black. They took a roundabout way to Lemuel's house to avoid passing through town. Raistlin did not recognize the route. They were coming from a different angle, and he was startled, Startled and ill at ease, to suddenly see the mage's house loom in front of him before he was expecting it. The house was the same as Raistlin remembered, held the same appearance of being abandoned that it had worn the first time he had visited Lemuel. No lights shone in the windows, nor was there a single sound of anything living within. Lemuel had been at home then. What if he were at home now? These dark elves would have no compunction about killing him. Micah produced the skeleton key he had made, fitted it into the lock. 
the other two elves kept watch. Their cloaks were cast aside, providing easy access to their weapons. They were well equipped with daggers and knives, the weapons of thieves, weapons of assassins. Raceland felt a deep loathing for these dark elves, a loathing that extended to himself, for he was standing in the moonlight in the dead of night alongside them, preparing to enter a man's house without his knowledge or his permission. I should turn right now and walk away, he thought to himself. The door opened soundlessly. Beyond it was dark and still. Raceland hesitated only a moment, then he slipped inside. He could have rationalized the situation. He had come too far to back out. The dark elves would never let him escape alive. He might have continued to pretend that he was doing this for Lemuel's own good, to relieve him of books which must be a burden on the mage's soul. Now that he was here, now that he was committed, Raistlin scorned to do either. He already loathed himself for the crime that he was about to commit. He didn't intend to add to that loathing by lying about his motives. He hadn't come here out of fear or constraint. He wasn't here in the name of loyalty and friendship. He was here for the magic. Raistlin stood in the darkness in the mageware shop with the elves his heart beating fast with excitement and anticipation. The human cannot see in the dark, Liam said in Qualinesti. We don't want him falling over something and breaking his neck. At least not until we are finished with him, Micah said with a trilling musical laugh that accorded oddly with his dire words. Strike a light. One of the elves produced quick match, put the match to a candle standing on the counter. The elves politely handed the candle to Raistlin, who just as politely took it. This way. Michael led them from the shop. Raistlin could have provided himself with light, magical light, but he did not mention this to the elves. He chose to save his energy. He was going to need it before this night was out. The four left the shop entered the kitchen, which Raistlin remembered from his first visit. They continued through the pantry, entered a door, and passed into a small storage room containing a veritable thicket of mops and brooms. Working swiftly and silently, the elves cleared these to one side. I see no spellbooks, Raistlin remarked. Of course you don't, Liam grunted, barely biting off the appellation fool. I told you, they are hidden in the cellar. The trap door is beneath that table. The table in question was a butcher's block used to cut meat. Made of oak, it was stained with the blood of countless animals. Raistlin was amused to see that the sight and smell disgusted the dark elves, who were prepared to murder humans without compunction, but who looked uneasy over the idea of steaks and lamb chops. Holding their breaths against what must have been to them a malodorous stench, Micah and Rennet hauled the table to one side. Both hastily wiped their hands on a towel when they had finished. We will put back all this as we have found it when we leave, Liam said. This Lemuel is such a stupid, unobservant little man. 
he will likely go for years without noticing that the books have been discovered and removed. Raistlin admitted the truth of this statement. Lemuel cared for nothing except his garden, took little interest in magic unless it pertained to his herbs. He had probably never even looked at these books, was merely obeying his father's injunctive to keep them hidden. When Raistlin took the books to the tower at Weyrith, which he fully intended to do, confessing his own sins at the time, the conclave could inform Lemuel that the books had been removed. As for what the conclave might do to Raistlin, he considered it likely that they would reprimand him for thievery, but probably nothing more severe. The conclave would not take kindly to the fact that these valuable spellbooks had been concealed all these years. Of the two crimes, they would consider concealment the greater. Raistlin hoped their sanctions would fall on the father if he still lived, not on the son. Micah tugged at the handle of the trap door. It did not budge, and at first the elves thought it might be locked, either with bolts or magic. The elves checked for bolts. Raistlin cast a minor spell which would ascertain the presence of magic. No bolts were visible, neither was there a wizard lock. The trap door was stuck tight, the wood having swelled with the damp. The elves wrenched and tugged, and eventually the door popped open. Cold air, cold and dank as the breath of a tomb, flowed up out of the darkness below. The air had a foul smell that caused the elves to wrinkle their noses and back off. Raistlin covered his mouth with the sleeve of his robe. Micah and Rennet cast furtive glances at Liam, fearful he was going to order them to walk down into that chancy darkness. Liam himself looked uneasy. What is that stench, he wondered aloud. It's like something died down there. Surely books on magic... Even human books on magic could not smell that bad. I am not afraid of a bad smell, Raistlin said scornfully. I will go down to see what is amiss. Micah was not happy at this. He took offense at Raistlin's suggestion of cowardice, though not offense enough to enter the cellar. The elves discussed the matter in their own language. Raistlin listened diverted by their arrogance. They did not even consider the possibility that a human might be able to understand their language. Rennet concluded that Raistlin should go down alone. It was possible the spellbooks might have a guardian. Raistlin was a human and therefore expendable. Micah argued that since Raistlin was a mage, he might grab several of the spellbooks and abscond with them, traveling the corridors of magic where the elves could not follow. Liam had a solution to that problem. Giving gracious permission for Raistlin to enter the cellar first, the elf posted himself at the top of the stairs, armed with a bow and a knocked arrow. What is this? Raistlin demanded, feigning ignorance. In order to protect you, Liam replied smoothly. I am an excellent shot, and although I do not speak the language of magic, I understand a little of it. 
I would be able to tell, for example, if someone in that cellar were to try casting a spell that would make him disappear. I doubt if he would have time to complete the spell before my arrow struck him through the heart. But do not hesitate to call out if you find yourself in danger. I feel safe in your hands, Raistlin said, bowing to hide his sardonic smile. Lifting the skirts of his robes, gray-colored robes now that he looked at them, holding the candle high, he cautiously descended the steps that led into the darkness. The staircase was a long one, longer than Raistlin had anticipated, leading deep under the ground. The stairs were carved of stone. A stone wall extended along to the right side. The stairs were open on his left. He shifted the candle as he walked, sending its pale light into as many portions of the cellar as it would reach, trying to catch a glimpse of something, anything. He could make out nothing. He continued his descent. At last his foot touched dirt floor. He looked back up the stairs to see the elves, small and diminished, a far distance away, almost as if they stood upon another plane of existence. He could hear their voices faintly. They were perturbed that he had passed beyond their sight. They decided that they would go down to find him. Flashing the candle about, Raistlin tried to see as much as he could before the elves arrived. The candle's feeble light did not extend far. Expecting to hear the elves' soft footfalls, Raistlin was startled to hear a deep booming sound instead. A blast of air extinguished his candle, leaving him trapped in a darkness so deep and impenetrable that it might have been the darkness of chaos out of which the world was formed. Liam? Micah? Raistlin called, and was alarmed when the names echoed back to him. Nothing more than echoes. The elves did not answer. Trying his best to hear over the rush of blood in his head, Raistlin distinguished faint sounds, as of someone pounding on a door. He gathered by this and the fact that the elves hadn't responded to his call that the trapdoor had inexplicably slammed shut, leaving him on one side and the elves on the other. Raistlin's first panicked impulse was to use his magic for light. He stopped himself before casting the spell. He would not act on impulse. He would think the situation through calmly, as calmly as possible. He decided that it was best to remain in the darkness. Light would reveal to him whatever was down here, but light would also reveal him to whatever was down here. Standing in the dark, he pondered the situation. The first notion that came to him was that the elves had lured him down here to leave him to his death. He abandoned this quickly. The elves had no reason to kill him. They had every reason to want to get into the cellar. They hadn't lied about the spellbooks. That much he had ascertained from their private conversations. The continued pounding on the trapdoor reassured him. The elves wanted to open that door as much as he wanted it open. This decided, he took the precaution of moving as quietly as he could to put the stone wall at his back. 
His sight gone, he relied on his other senses, and almost immediately, now that he was calmer, he could hear breathing. Someone else's breathing. He was not alone down here. It was not the breathing of a fearsome guardian, not the deep, harsh snufflings of an ogre, not the husky, whistling breaths of a hobgoblin. This breath was thin and raspy, with a slight rattle. Raistlin had heard breathing like this before, in the rooms of the sick, the elderly. Although somewhat reassuring, the sound shattered his calculations as to what he might find down in the cellar. The first wild thought was that he was about to meet the owner of the books, Lemuel's father. Perhaps the old gentleman had chosen to retire to the cellar, to spend his life with his precious books. Either that or Lemuel had locked his father in the cellar, a feat which, considering the father was a respected archmagus, was highly unlikely. Raistlin stood in the dark, his fear diminishing by the moment as nothing untoward happened to him, his curiosity increasing. The breathing continued, uneven, fractured, with a gasp now and then. Raistlin could hear no other sounds in the cellar, no jingle of chainmail, creak of leather, rattle of sword. Above, the elves were hard at work. By the sounds of it, they were attacking the trap door with an axe. And then a voice spoke very near him. You're a sly one, aren't you? A pause, then, clever, too, and bold. It is not every man who dares stand alone in the darkness. Come, let's have a look at you. A candle flared, revealing a plain wooden table, small and round. Two chairs stood opposite of each other, the table in between. One of the chairs was occupied. An old man sat in the chair. One glance assured Raistlin that this old man was not Lemuel's father, the war mages who fought at the side of elves. The old man wore black robes, against which his white hair and beard shone with an eerie aura. His face arrested attention. Like a landscape, its crevices and seams gave clues to his past. Fine lines spreading from the nose to the brow might have represented wisdom in others. On him, the lines ran deep with cunning. Lines of intelligence around the hawk-black eyes tightened into cynical amusement. Contempt for his fellow beings cracked the thin lips. Ambition was in his outthrust jaw. His hooded eyes were cold and calculating and bright. Raistlin did not stir. The old man's face was a desert of desolation, harsh and deadly and cruel. Raistlin's fear smote him full force. Far better that he should fight an ogre or hobgoblin. The words to the simple defensive spell that had been on Raistlin's lips slipped away in a sigh. He imagined himself casting it, could almost hear the old man's mocking, derisive laughter. Those old hands, large-knuckled, large-boned and grasping, were empty now, but those hands had once wielded enormous power. 
The old man understood Raistlin's thoughts as if he'd spoken them aloud. The eyes gazed in Raistlin's direction, though he stood shrouded in the darkness. Come, sly one, you who have swallowed my bait, come and sit and talk with an old man. Still Raistlin did not move. The words about bait had shaken him. You really might as well come sit down. The old man smiled, a smile that twisted the lines in his face, sharpening mockery into cruelty. You're not going anywhere until I say you may go. Lifting a knotted finger, he pointed it straight at Raistlin's heart. You came to me. Remember that. Raistlin considered his options. He could either remain standing in the darkness, which was obviously not offering him much protection, since the old man seemed to see him clearly. He could make a desperate attempt to escape back up the steps, which would probably be futile and make him look foolish, or he could grasp his courage and assert what dignity remained, confront the old man, and find out what he meant by his strange references to bait. Raistlin walked forward. Emerging out of the darkness into the candle's yellow light, he took a seat opposite the old man. The old man studied Raistlin in the light, did not appear particularly pleased with what he saw. You're a weakling, a sniveling weakling. I've more strength in my body than I see in yours, and my body is nothing but ashes and dust. What good will you do me? This is just my luck. Expecting an eagle, I am given a sparrowhawk. Still, the old man's mutterings were only barely audible. There is hunger in those eyes. If the body is frail, perhaps that is because it feeds the mind. The mind itself is desperate for nourishment, that much I can tell. Perhaps I judged hastily. We will see. What is your name? Raistlin had been clever and glib with the Dark Elves. In the company of this daunting old man, the young one answered meekly, I am Raistlin Magere, Archmagus. Archmagus. The old man lingered over the word, tasting it in his mouth. I was once, you know, the greatest of them all. Even now they fear me. But they don't fear me enough. How old are you? I have just turned twenty-one. Young, young to take the test. I am surprised at Parsalian. The man is desperate, that much is apparent. And how do you think you've done thus far, Raistlin Magere? The old man's eyes crinkled. His smile was the ugliest thing Raistlin had ever seen. I'm sorry, sir. I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean, how have I done? Done? Raistlin caught his breath. He had the sensation of rousing from a dream, one of those dreams that are more real than waking reality. 
except that he had not dreamed this. He was taking the test. This was the test. The elves, the inn, the events, the situations were all contrived. He stared at the candle flame and thought back frantically, wondering as the old man had asked how he had done. The old man laughed, a chuckle that was like water gurgling beneath the ice. I never tire of that reaction. It happens every time. One of the few pleasures I have left. Yes, you are taking the test, young magus. You are right in the middle of it. And no, I am not part of it. Or rather I am, but not an officially sanctioned part. You mentioned bait. I came to you, that was what you said. Raistlin kept fast hold of his courage, clenching his hand so that no shiver or tremor should betray his fear. The old man nodded. By your own choices and decisions, yes, you came to me. I don't understand, Raistlin said. The old man helpfully explained. Some mages would have heeded the tinker's warning, never entered such a disreputable inn. Others, if they had entered, would have refused to have anything to do with dark elves. You went to the inn, you spoke to the elves, you fell in with their dishonest scheme quite readily. The old man again raised the nodded finger. Even though you considered the man you were about to rob a friend. What you say is true. Raistlin saw no point in denying it. Nor was he particularly ashamed of his actions. In his mind, any mage, with the possible exception of the most bleached white robe, would have done the same. I wanted to save the spellbooks. I would have returned them to the conclave. He was silent a moment then said, There are no spellbooks, are there? No, replied the old man. There is only me. And who are you? Raistlin asked. My name is not important. Not yet. Well, then, what do you want of me? The old man made a deprecating gesture with the gnarled and knotted hand. A little favor, nothing more. Now it was Raistlin who smiled, and his smile was bitter. Excuse me, sir, but you must be aware that since I am taking the test, I am of very low ranking. You appear to be, or have been, a wizard of immense skill and power. I have nothing that you could possibly want. Ah, but you do... The old man's eyes gleamed with a hungry, devouring light, a flame that made the candle's flame dim and feeble by contrast. You live. For the time being, Raistlin said dryly, perhaps not much longer. The Dark Elves will not believe me when I tell them there are no ancient spellbooks down here. They will think that I have magically spirited them away for my own use. He glanced around. I don't suppose there is any way to escape from this cellar. There is a way. My way, said the old man. My way is the only way. 
You are quite right. The Dark Elves will kill you. They're not thieves as they pretend, you know. They are high-ranking wizards. Their magic is exceptionally powerful. Raistlin should have recognized that at once. Not giving up, are you? the old man asked with a sneer. I am not. Raistlin lifted his head, gazed steadily at the old man. I was thinking. Think away, young magus. You're going to have to think hard to overcome three-to-one odds. Make that twelve-to-one, since each dark elf is four times as powerful as yourself. This is the test, Raistlin said. It is all an illusion. Admittedly, some magi die taking the test, but that is through their own failure or inadvertence. I have done nothing wrong. Why should the conclave kill me? You have talked to me, the old man said softly. They are aware of that, and that may well prove your downfall. Who are you then, Raislin asked impatiently, that they fear you so much? My name is Fist and Antilus. Perhaps you've heard of me. Yes, said Raistlin. Long ago, in the turbulent and desperate years following the cataclysm, an army of hill dwarves and humans laid siege to Thorbarden, the great underground city of the mountain dwarves. Leading this army, instrumental in its formation, intending to use the army to achieve his own driving ambition, was a wizard of the black robes, a wizard of immense power, a renegade wizard openly defying the conclave. His name was Fist and Antilus. He built a magical fortress known as Jamin, and from there launched his attack against the dwarven stronghold. Fist and Antilus fought the dwarves with his magic. His armies fought with axe and sword. Many thousands died on the plains or in the mountain passes, but the wizard's army faltered, and the dwarves of Thorbarden claimed victory. According to the minstrels, Fist and Antilus plotted one last spell, a spell of catastrophic power that would split the mountain, lay Thorbarden open to conquest. Unfortunately, the spell was too powerful. Fist and Antilus could not control it. The spell shattered the fortress of Jamin. It collapsed in upon itself and was now known as Skullcap. Thousands of his own army died in the blast, including the wizard who had cast it. That is what the minstrels sang, and that is what most people believed. Raistlin had always imagined there was more to the story than that. Fist and Antlis had gained his power over hundreds of years. He was not elven, but human. He had, so it was rumored, found a way to cheat death. He extended his life by murdering his young apprentices, drawing out their life force by means of a magical bloodstone. He had not been able to survive the shattering effects of his own magic, however. At least, that's what the world supposed. Evidently, Fist and Antilus had once again cheated death. Yet he would not do so for long. Fist and Antilus, 
the greatest of all magi, Raistlin said, the most powerful wizard who has ever lived. I am, said Fistendantilus. And you are dying, Raistlin observed. The old man did not like this. His brows contracted, the lines of his face drew together in a dagger point of anger. His outrage bubbled beneath the surface. But every breath was a struggle. He was expending an enormous amount of magical energy merely to hold this form together. The fury ceased to boil, a pot under which the fire was put out. You speak the truth. I am dying, he muttered, frustrated, impotent. I am nearly finished. They tell you that my goal was to take over Thorbardin. He smiled disdainfully. What rot! I played for far greater stakes than the acquisition of some stinking, filthy dwarven hole in the ground. My plan was to enter the abyss, to overthrow the Dark Queen, remove Tachesis from her throne. I sought godhood. Raistlin was awed listening to this, awed and amazed, awed, amazed, and sympathetic. Beneath Skullcap is, or shall we say was, for it is gone now, Fist and Antilus paused, looked extremely cunning. A means of entering the abyss, that cruel netherworld. Tachesis was aware of me. She feared me and plotted my downfall. True, my body died in the blast, but I had already planned my soul's retreat on another plane of existence. Tachesis could not slay me, for she could not reach me. But she never ceases to try. I am under constant assault, and have been for centuries. I have little energy left. The life force I carried with me is almost gone. And so you contrive to enter the test and lure young mages like me into your web, said Raistlin. I would guess that I am not the first. What has happened to those who came before me? Fist and Antilus shrugged. They died. I told you, they spoke to me. The conclave fears that I will enter into the body of a young mage, take him over, and so return to the world to complete what I began. They cannot allow that. So each time they see to it that the threat is eliminated. Raistlin gazed steadily at the old man, the dying old man. I don't believe you. The mages died, but it was not the conclave who killed them. It was you. That is how you've managed to live for so long, if you call it living. Call it what you will. It is preferable to the great nothingness I see reaching out for me. Fist and Antilus said with a hideous grin. The same nothingness that is reaching out for you, young mage. I have little choice, it seems, Raistlin replied bitterly. Either I die at the hands of three wizards, or I am to be sucked dry by a lich. It was your decision to come down here, Fist and Antilus replied. 
Raistlin lowered his gaze, refused to allow the old man's probing hawk eyes to gain admittance to his soul. He stared at the wooden table and was reminded of the table in his master's laboratory, the table on which the child Raistlin had written so triumphantly, I, Magus. He considered the odds he faced, thought about the dark elves, wondered at their magic, wondered if what the old man had said about them was true, or if it was all lies, lies intended to trap him, wondered about his own ability to survive, wondered if the conclave would simply kill him because he had spoken to Fist and Antilus. Raistlin lifted his gaze, met the hawk eyes. I accept your offer. Fist and Antilus's thin lips parted in a smile that was like the grin of a skull. I thought you might. Show me your spellbook. Chapter 5 Raistlin stood at the bottom of the cellar stairs, waiting for the old man to release the trap door from the enchantment that held it shut. He wondered that he felt no fear, only the razor-edged pain of anticipation. The elves had halted their assault on the cellar doors. They had figured out that magic held them. He allowed himself the hope that perhaps they had gone. The next moment he laughed at himself for his foolishness. This was the test. He would be required to prove his ability to use magic in battle. Now, came a voice in Raistlin's head. Fist and Antilus had disappeared. The physical form the old man had taken had been illusory, conjured up for Raistlin's benefit. Now that the form was no longer required, the old man had abandoned it. The cellar doors swung violently open, falling with a resounding boom on the stone-flagged floor. Raistlin trusted that the elves would be caught off guard by the sudden opening of the door. He planned to use these few moments of confusion to launch his own attack. To his dismay, he discovered that the dark elves had been prepared for just such an occurrence. They were waiting for him. An elven voice spoke the language of magic. Light blazed, a globe of fire illuminated Liam's face. The instant the door flew open, the flaming ball, trailing sparks like the blazing tail of a comet, hurtled through the air. Raistlin was not prepared for this attack. He had not imagined the Dark Elves would react so quickly. There was no escape. The flaming ball would fill the room with fiery death. Instinctively, he flung his left arm up to protect his face, knowing all the while there could be no protection. The fireball burst on him, over him, around him. It burst harmlessly, its effects dissipated, showering him with sparks and gobs of flame that struck his hands and his astonished face, and then vanished in a sizzle, as if they were falling into standing water.' 